So welcome to School of the Spirit on my behalf. Let me say this. It's a combination of the day. It's a combination of things that happens. Part of it is very encounter, and, it's, and the goal is to have an encounter. Part of it is education, the school. Part of it is because we learn through encounter. We also learn through listening, learning, writing, studying, paying attention. So there is that part that has to do with our mind, how we think, how we perceive, what we see, how we interpret what we see. All of that's part of the thinking side. But the other part is, a, is an experience where God touches us, says something, where it's not the preacher doing the speaking, it's the Lord himself speaking directly. It's that release of power. So we're going to bounce you around like a ping pong ball today, and sometime we're going to be looking at the educational piece, and sometimes it's going to be about the altar encounter, what God does back and forth. I want you to know that having a true evangelist of, of, of an anointed man of God like Joe has been the key and the foundation of what we do here, and we just couldn't accomplish all of this without uh, without this fine young man, and we're so proud of him. Joe's kind of one of my spiritual boys, and I like to keep a hand on him. I like to encourage him. I like to make fun of him. You know, your children, you do things you wouldn't do with other people, and so I harass him sometimes, and, and we just have a good time together. He, uh, he's got issues, though, and he needs some prayer, because as good as he sounded to you, he does have a problem. He likes Alabama football, and so uh, I just tell you that, that's a demon that we need to cast out before, before we go too far today. I think if, if, he, uh, if he ever gets anointed and starts saying roll tide, we know the devil is manifesting. And so that's how we, so I, I love Joe and we have a lot of fun. But he also has his sweet wife with him today. And I don't think Trisha has been a part of one of these before. And you've been able to come. Trisha, would you stand up? I want everybody to meet you. She's just incredible. She's sweet. She even helps us carry boxes, and I like that. She was a big help to us, and what a blessing this couple is to us. Later on, you're going to get to meet, if you haven't, Dr. Carolyn Tennant. She's our resident theologian. She's the one that has the smarts. She gives credibility to what the rest of us do. You are going to be so blessed. When she sits down and begins to teach, you're going to feel like a little bird with your mouth open. You can't get enough fast enough as she just pours out what God's done in her life and as she leads us. I do want you to know she's a, she's a part of, of the team working with AGTS to help us take the Assemblies of God to a solid theological platform for pure Pentecost. And so what she is doing to help our help our leaders, workers, pastors, teachers, the next generation of educated, level, wonderful, doctoral mostly people. That's her kind of her passion and where she works the most, moving people through a doctoral process. As she does that, she's turning out on the other end, not people who know how to be non-Pentecostal, but people who know how to be correctly Pentecostal. And God's really got his hand on her and using her. And so you get some... You get some pretty heavy stuff today before it's over that you would that you would not get all the time. This is above your average Sunday school class. Let me put it that way. And we're going to have a wonderful time. This has been a wonderful team and an opportunity for me to work with these guys and then to work with Ronnie. Ronnie, thank you for your leadership in this district. There is no doubt to any of us that God in all that he's been doing in Arkansas turned the, turned the clock way back and Look at the previous superintendents. You've had some good ones. 
You've been very blessed with good leadership. But this is the day and this is the hour for a Pentecostal revival to come to Arkansas. And God's given you the right leader to take you there. And Ronnie, you're the man of God for this moment. And, and we not only know that in Arkansas, but we know that at the national office. And we are so excited to have you here. And thank you for this open door and opportunity. God bless you guys. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll begin with verse 4. And uh, we're going to talk about um, a biblical church. That's a good term, isn't it? Matter of fact, let's say that out loud. A biblical church. There you go. Did you know that a biblical church is always Pentecostal? There is no other form of church described in the Bible. Anything less than Pentecostal is not biblical. Woo, that's just kind of strong, isn't it? I'm not saying there aren't churches that aren't effective that are less than, than Pentecostal. We're going to talk about that. But a biblical church is a Pentecostal church. We're going to walk through a whole lot in the next few minutes, a little more than a few. So what you're going to want to do is get your computers out, get your fingers ready to type, get your pad ready, your pen warmed up. Just, just go as fast as you can. When you get through, you will have missed a whole lot of this because I'm going too fast. I'm just telling you. Are we? Is this being taped or recorded? We don't tape anymore. We record. Good. It is being recorded. We'll sell it to you for $100. And uh, actually, I have no idea. That's not mine. That's up to the district. But it is being recorded, and that'll help you. And I'm going so fast, I'm telling you that you'll probably need to listen to it again to get it all. Let's ask God to help us. Holy Spirit, this part of our meeting, you know, uh, we design it for the intellectual, for thinking, for understanding. How do, we, how do we live as Pentecostals? What does it mean? What does the church look like? What is the biblical church? I want to answer those questions, but I need your help to do it. I need your help to communicate it correctly, and, and those listening need your help to receive it correctly. So we pray that you would lead the next few minutes as you've led the previous. But in this time, let us grasp and understand and put foundation under what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit... <clears throat> Did I just have my voice changed? Did y'all hear that? But the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, uh, office, position, administration. is kind of what that word means. But the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, which is operation or energies. I'll show you that later. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. What has he just done for us? He's, it's incredible what he's done. He's just given us three different origins and three different kinds of functions, but with overlapping terms. Let me say that again. Three origins, three different kinds of functions, but with overlapping terms. I'm going to walk you through that. He said, Pastor, we don't get it yet. I know you don't. Stay with me, you will. Number one, when he speaks of gifts in that little passage, the word Charisma, we're familiar with that word, and we know it means gifts. It means and can mean a divine gratuity delivered by the Holy Spirit. He just comes and says, here, I'm just going to give you this, and he just releases it. It's not an earned thing. It is just a gift thing. Have you ever seen anyone used in one of the gifts of the Spirit that you didn't think they deserved? 
to be used in? Well, the truth is, none of us deserve to be used in the gift. It's a divine gratuity. Whoo, we'll get back to that. Where does it come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The origin of the gifts of the Spirit is the Spirit. That's not too deep. All right. Next, service. This work of service, kinds of service, they come more from positions. Positions that Jesus created and he fills. And where are they from? From the same Lord. Now we're looking at the Lord. And in this sense, it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you that more as we go further. So the Lord has gifts that are related to service that needs to be performed and positions he's created, and he fills them. We'll show you that. And then there are the different kinds of workings. That's operation. It can actually mean energy. It means, it means there are things that, that we do, and, and they're in everyone. Now, they're not all the same in everyone, but then where's the, where's the origin? It is the same God at work. Now we have God providing a certain kinds of gifts, and then we have Jesus providing a certain kinds of gifts, and then we have the Holy Spirit providing certain kinds of gifts. Are you with me so far? Now it's important because, because if you don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace, as a definite special activity of God in a believer's life separate from salvation. If you don't get all that, and we Pentecostals do, but if you don't get all of that, then you don't know how to separate the gifts of the Spirit from the other gifts and functions inside the biblical standard for church and for living. And so what you have a tendency to do then is you create a gift test that puts all of them in one circle, and you try to figure out who has what gifts based on whatever However, they fill out the test, and then they come back, and some of them say, well, I have the gift of pastor. Let me help you. You can't discover the gift of pastor by taking a test. <laughs> it's not how it comes. It's not how he distributes it, and it doesn't come that way. And so, so using those, we end up, if we're not careful, we reach over into, into the non-Pentecostal evangelical world, and we bring their tools into our Pentecostal church, but they don't really fit here. They don't really work correctly here. There's reasons why. And so we try to use that, and then we end up trying to, to reform ourselves to fit in a mold that can be explained through the non-Pentecostal when the truth is, remember the beginning of this teaching, God never meant to have a non-Pentecostal church. So we have to walk away from those things and begin to look correctly at what God means for us to be and what the healthy church looks like and what what the biblical church really does look like. Y'all ready to go to work? All right, that's the setup. Now we've got work to do. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, and we're going to look at the gifts whose origin is the Father. The Father God. He's the origin for these gifts. Romans 12, 3, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we, we be many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Therefore, we have different gifts 
according to the grace. Everybody say grace. grace. It's that giving thing. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You just got it because given to each of us. Now, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with the faith. If it is serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraged, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, lead diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, those are, those are important, but, but before I jump into those individually, let's go back just a little further. It's in Psalms 139 and 13 that, that David says this to us, saying that he says it to God, but, but we get to read it and we understand it's the scripture teaching us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Wow. What's he saying? Here's, here's the, the deep of that. You're about to be conceived. You say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I was conceived as a product of rape. I was conceived as a product of incest. I was conceived when I was, my mother was 16 in the backseat of a car, and now she wasn't even married. I mean, and we can, we can begin to try to disqualify, but you can't. Because what God is saying to us is that the moment of your conception, whatever the scenario that led to it, he immediately reaches his, in his hand and begins to form you for a purpose he has in the church. Wow. He says, I, God's looking way into a future, and he says, you know what? I'm going to need this and this and this, and uh, I'm going to form someone, and I'm going to form this person for that, and by my grace, I'm going to give them strengths and abilities, capabilities, energy, to do some things that others can't do, and they're going to fit perfectly in my body. They're going to have a place. Well, what if we're never redeemed? Well, we'll talk about that. If you're never redeemed, you never receive Christ, that doesn't remove your gifts. You just don't get to use them for the purpose they were meant for. And the church suffers that it doesn't have you in the body doing what you're supposed to do. So God is building his church way back in the womb. That's pretty good stuff. So he's putting some stuff in me, some, and then he gives us the list of what they are. And, and so that's being put into us. So I'm unique in some incredible ways. He starts with prophesy. Now prophesy is one of those words that we're going to find prophecy in all three gift lists. Now that, you can say, well, I, how can that be? Well, in one case, it's the energy and the energy that drives the gift. And we're going to talk about that. In the other place, it's the position and the opportunity and the authority that goes with the position to operate as a prophet. In the third one, it's actually the Holy Spirit manifesting for a prophecy to be released. And when we don't understand that the three origins, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, produce all in the realm of a prophetic utterance from God and a prophetic voice and the voice of the Lord being heard, we'll deal with that. They all do that, but they come from a different origin and a different purpose. Now, when you have a person that is 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 shaped to be a prophet, put in the position and authority of a prophet, operating under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in prophecy, you have Elijah. Pretty dynamic. But there's times when God puts 
a gift mix in us here in the womb, but puts us in a position differently here so that he creates in his body uniqueness for unique times and purposes. Is that all making sense so far? Let's have, y'all want to go deep? Because I want to go deep. I, I want to pick this apart because I got the mic and uh, it's my turn and I'm the assistant general superintendent. And so just in case, you know, I'm getting any pushback anywhere. I, I hardly ever get to do that, but I just did it. And that was really felt pretty good, actually. And uh, <clears throat> I just got reelected. And so I got four years before I have to worry about it. And so I'm in, I'm in great shape today. This is a good day. This is a good day. All right. So what does prophecy mean? It's the energy to confront wrong and to bring correction. Prophets do two things. They do many things. They do two things again and again. One is the prophet is used of God to correct wrong a lot. That's a lot of the Old Testament, really. We see a lot of the correction. Prophet comes in and says, you've been doing this. Number two, the prophet is often used to release the next move of God. It won't rain, as he said, until I say it rains. And until the prophet declared it didn't happen, he used him as his voice to speak on his behalf, to bring things to an end, to start new things, that prophecy. And so in the sense, there's a, that energy to confront wrong, that, to correct things, to make things right. There's little children that are born with that. And then the three kids in the back seat, the one that's got that gift is always correcting the other two, explaining to them, you can't do that. You'll go to hell for doing that. I'm telling you, there is no hope for you. You can't say that. Don't ever say that again. But who are you? You're just my little sister. I don't know. But there's something in me that requires me to tell you, you're really messed up. And I can't help it. I try not to say it, but it's like fire shut up in my bones. And you're just like mom and dad saying you can't speak to them that way. They're older than you and they've been around a lot. Yeah, but they're sinners and somebody has got to tell them. It's that inspired utterance. They speak the will of God. Often they become the defender of right and wrong. They see the world in black and white and they're in an unredeemed state. This gifting will lead them to, to use this to hold a protest sign to defend those who need defending, to cry for justice for a, for a community that's not being treated justly. Even when the church isn't there, those with this gift will be there. Does that make sense? It's in them. They can't help it. They want to know why the rest of us aren't there. They make great lawyers. They make great judges, good judges, because they want what's right. They make good social workers. Is this making sense? But there's a position in their redemption where they fit in the church. And the church needs them to keep the rest of us doing what we need to do. <laughs> we could use a few more, Lord. We could use a few more. The next one is serving. That serving is that energy to do the work. The joy of doing the work. The person with the gift of serving likes to get their hands on stuff. They, they don't mind setting up the tables and the chairs. As a matter of fact, they get a little, they have energy to do that. They just kind of, that just gives them energy. Other people, it saps the energy right out of them. But the person with this gift, they have an energy for that. They don't mind waiting on the tables. What that person needs with the gift of service is someone to serve. 
the worst thing you can do to somebody with the gift of service is put them in the room alone. Because if there's not somebody to serve, they'll go into depression. Woo, this is good, isn't it? They need somebody, and they need a leader with a vision that needs somebody to do something. They come to life when the vision from God is released from the leader. They're like, all right, we're going to do something. I'm Turn me loose. And they just let me set up something, build something, paint something, tear up something. I need to, This is great. And they're all excited. Let's go do it. Now, the, the other, some of the other gifts, they don't get energy from that at all. But the server gets energy from that and needs people to serve. They'll even serve when... They'll, even, they'll look for people to serve. It, but the negative can be here because there's a Mary and a Martha, and they were different. And Martha loved to serve, but she became negative toward those who didn't share her experience. Is that right? I can't believe I'm in here doing all this work, and I'm taking care of all the kitchen. I'm going to make sure everybody gets fed, and then I'm going to probably have to clean the dishes when it's over. But the truth is, you like doing that. I know, but don't tell anybody. Because it's also an opportunity for me to complain about those who don't help me. And Jesus said, you know, if you're having to make the choice between the two, your little sister chose right. Oh, well, okay. So there is that reality of serving. Number, Number next is teaching. Teaching. The person with this gift of teaching has the energy to learn. They want to learn. They actually like to study. It actually benefits them. They actually kind of look forward to going and finding out something they didn't know yesterday and, and figuring it out and then to determine if it's truth or not. I mean, they got all this stuff. And you, we look, those that don't have that gift, look at them and say, why would you want to spend all your time doing that? I don't know. Why wouldn't you spend your time doing this? That's what I want to know. Because they're just built so there's an energy in learning. And then there's an ability to transport, transport what they've learned to someone else. They have an ability to communicate it. They have ability to say, when I got it, I put it together and I put it in pieces and I put it in a visual so that now when I share it, you can receive what I have for you and they can teach it and they can transfer information. It's a gift to the body. It's a very important gift because the kingdom of God advances from generation, at least in part by our ability to educate the next generation and what we've learned in the previous. And if we build layer upon layer, we should get better and better as we go forward. Now, the the society as a whole is doing this very well. They've moved us into a place with these teachers and educators, learners and trainers that we now educate. We now know stuff no society or generation has known. We've built on generational learning from generation to generation so that we now have cell phones and we now have artificial intelligence, which is really not new. I've met some people that were artificially intelligent before. So I thought, that's why are we acting like that's new? That's been around a while. It's not, it hadn't helped us in the past. Hopefully it will in the future. And so, but this idea of educating learning is a work. The world uses the gift, but it's meant for the church. Gift of teaching, the gift of encouraging. They have the energy to invite They have the energy to welcome people. They have the energy to inspire. 
They love to inspire. What do they do in the world? They make the greatest sales force you could ever want to hire. You give me somebody with this gift, they love to bring people in. They love to excite them. They love to connect with them. They love their networkers. They like people. They are positive. They bring a positive atmosphere. If everyone is down, you want to invite the person with the gift of encouragement to the room. And before long, everybody in the room feels better and more hopeful because there's just something. They're always the glass half full kind of people. It's just who they are. And uh, and because the atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies, you bring them into the atmosphere, you shift the outcome. Dynamic. It's a gift. Some of you have it. You didn't know what it was. You just thought you had a happy gene. Uh, but it's more than that. It's a design in God that you're not supposed to just be happy by yourself. But your gift is to help us all see better and see further and believe more and walk in joy. And that it's a dynamic, dynamic gift. The next one is giving. And by the way, that encourager, I told you, strong in sales. They, there's so many places you could put them that they can do well if they have the discipline. If there's a weakness in that group, it's such a dynamic gift, they can learn to use that gift to get them where they want to go, but don't put the structure under it to stay there. So, you know, these all have a negative and a positive. Giving, the energy to make and share wealth. That's pretty cool. We all say, oh, that's the gift I've been praying for, that, that ability to make and share wealth. Here, the deal, though, is that people with the real gift of giving are not greedy by nature. They're just, they're not that kind of people. And the truth is, very few of them depend on money or care much about it. They value it properly. They do not value money improperly. Most of the people that want the gift value money improperly. That's why they don't have the gift. But the people with the gift see money as a tool to be used to advance something. Now, the problem with the gift of giving is that the person that has that ability can misuse the tool and try to use it to give direction to the church when it's not their call to give direction to the church. Mm -hmm. Preaching now, aren't I? And they have the ability to make wealth, and they don't really care about their own lifestyle. It's interesting to me how many people of great wealth... I, I love to share this story. There's one of our schools who is somewhere in America, so now you don't know who it is, and they're raising money to pay off their debt, and they want me to come and speak to these people that have means to give. So I'm in the room with them, and I know one of them very well because, uh, because his nephew attended the church I pastored in Dallas and was one of our great givers and was just an incredible man, and so I knew him through family relationship. So I sat down with him. I said, he said, you're going to be speaking for us. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Looking forward. We had this great steak and this great food we're going to eat. This is what a great night. We're in a cool place. This is wonderful. He said, yeah, and I said, well, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping to raise a million dollars tonight to help pay off that debt from school with all these wealthy people in the room. Now, people like you, I'm expecting quite a bit out of you because I know you're wealthy as I know your nephew, and I'm, I'm having a little fun with you. Oh, he said, no, I'm the poor person in this room. I said, I called him by name, and I said, you're not poor. He said, no, no, if everything's relative, I'm the poor person in this room. I said, really? I'm going for $2 million then. <laughs> I didn't know that. 
Then he starts telling me about the different ones. This guy owns 80,000 acres. He's got this many cows. He's got this many oil wells. He's got, he said, he's got, he got more money this week than I'm going to make all year. And then this guy, and they're all friends. So then he started talking to them, making them confess their wealth to me and tell me how wealthy they are. He said, let him know how much money you got. You need to tell him. And I'm going, you can't do it. Well, none of them looked like it. None of them drove cars like it. And when you go to their ranches and their houses, you think they're going to be huge mansions. They're actually about the same thing that I live in. You say, well, you got all this money? Yeah, because it's just money. So people with this gift of giving, they, they're, not, they're not the people driving up in the fancy cars and driving, fan, wearing fancy clothes trying to show you they have money because those people are trying to show you they have more money than they really have. The people that really have the money, they have the gift of giving. They have the gift of giving. They have the money so they can support the will of God and the work of God and accomplish the purposes of God. Now, if they're not redeemed, they're going to use their money to support things like politics. And they're going to build some hospitals. And they're going to do some other good things. And they're going to make billions. But they don't really, but you'll even look at them sometimes, standing on a platform, and you'd say, man's the man's a multi-billionaire and he's wearing a t-shirt and tennis shoes. What is wrong with this picture? So then all people start wearing t-shirts and tennis shoes to look like the billionaire because they think that, no, the truth is he doesn't care how he looks because he doesn't value the money for himself. He values it as a tool. You bring that gift of giving into the church and, so, and we need people with the gift of giving in the church. That's what God made them for. But we need to redeem them. So they can fulfill their purpose. Y'all still with me? Yeah. All right. So when's the spiritual stuff coming? It's coming. Just hang with. And the last one in the list is the gift of mercy. And I want, I like you to understand these because it helps you go home and lead your people better. Mercy is the energy to show true compassion, true empathy. To literally share the emotional load with someone else. It's, uh, they make great intercessors. Um, if they're not redeemed, they're incredible to support people who are going through hard times in life at any level. They can get involved in the foster care system and serve in, as, uh, I forget the word, the term, but whatever it is, the advocate for the kids in the, in, the, in the system. There's different places where they can fit into society and be very helpful. But the true gift of mercy the true gift of mercy in the church under the redeemed person walking in that anointing begins to flow in a dynamic flow, releasing ministry and care. So here's what happens. Here's a picture, and then, I'm, then I'll go to the next phase. If the three people walk in that church and they're all different in their motivations and they're already Christians, let's say you've got one who's the server, uh, one who's the, who's the gift of leading. Did I skip leading? Yeah, I did. It's, it's a great gift. And so uh, it's, I'm just going to read it to you because I need to move on. It's the energy to preside over, to be in charge, to lead, to guide others onto God's agenda. It's, they have the ability to see the future and to inspire others to go there. Leading can also have a gift of administration. It's the ability to organize and plan to help us move from point A to point B. Leadership is very important and Everything God does, he starts with a leader all through the scripture. Leadership matters. Then mercy. So let's say you have three people come in. One is the gift of leadership. One has the gift of serving and one has the gift of mercy. And they walk in the same church. 
When they walk in the church, the way they see the church is going to come from the perspective of their gifting. So the person with the gift of leading is going to look around to see if things are organized, planned, if there's vision being cast, if we're going somewhere, if there seems to be unity, and all the things that leaders need to move it forward. He's going to judge that, everything he sees in the next few minutes from his leadership gift. The person with the gift of serving is going to look around for a vision they can get involved with. Some chairs I can set up. Some floor I can sweep. Some paper I can pick up. Is there something here that can be done? And is anyone doing it? Are the chairs straight? Are the pictures hung right? Is is this place being taken care of? And the person with the gift of mercy is going to walk in and they may not notice either one of those things. They're going to notice the one person standing in the corner with a tear running down her cheek and wonder why the church is not taking care of this person that's hurting. So those gifts are the gifts we will judge the world from and that we join the world in. And then we also can judge the church from our perspective based on our gift. But we're not given the gift to judge from. We're given the the gift to work from. And when we use our gift for the purpose of advancing the church, now we're doing it correctly. When we use it just to judge and criticize the church, we've become a Martha. That makes sense? That's important. So one of the best ways you can tell where you operate is by uh, seeing how you see things. How do you view the world? And just remember, he told us in that passage, we don't all have the same gift. That's the plan. Because everybody doesn't want to be a nose. What would we be if we were all just a nose? What would we be if we were all just an ear? That's what he asked. What would we be if we were all just the foot? No, no, no. We can't be just the eye. We have to fulfill our part, but we have to be connected in order for our part to matter. All right. So the second level is the gifts of the sun. Service gifts. Remember, leadership in the church is always categorized by servanthood. Jesus said, the greater the leader, the more the servant. The greater the leader, the greater the servant. So this gift of servant has, has gift of service has a tendency toward being the servant, but in the principles of the kingdom, it's being a leader. And so the more you serve, the more you lead. And so it's this incredible aspect that God creates. These are called, and the offices are created, the positions for them to fill are created by Jesus in order to equip others. Remember, they're leadership gifts. Leadership has some form of leadership in these gifts. They're not all people with the gift of leadership in the previous passage, but it's a position for leading that God creates in his church. To do what? To help equip others to fulfill their ministry. So I'm going to help equip the person with the gift of service. I'm going to help equip the person with the gift of giving. I'm going to help equip the person. So these are going to be equipping in general locations and flows and purposes, but the goal is not just that they do those purposes, but they equip the church to do those purposes. You with me so far? And then we go, obviously, you're already ahead of me, Ephesians chapter 4. Where else would we go? Verse 10 said, and he descended, and he who descended is the very one who also ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the, and then he starts the list, apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why? Here we go. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. So now, what do we have? We have these that are called into positions of authority and leadership. God never gives a responsibility without creating both an opportunity and releasing the necessary authority. Can I say that again? God never gives you responsibility to do something without giving you the opportunity to do it and the authority to do it. If we only have, he said, I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm making you responsible for that, but I'm not going to give you an opportunity, nor am I going to give you the authority. Well, we're beat. But he doesn't do that. He said, I'm giving you the responsibility for this, reach the whole world with the whole gospel, and now I'm going to give you an opportunity that's what he, Joe said. He created an opportunity. He wants to know where the church is. He's doing his part. Are we doing our part? So I'm giving you the opportunity, and I'm also giving you the authority. All right. So when we look at these gifts, now this, this I could get caught up here, and, and, and we'd never get to the next phase. Apostle. Apostle means sent one. Later on, probably more into the afternoon, we're going to hear some incredible teaching on the apostolic flow from Dr. T. So I don't need to cover too much here, but I will say it means sent one. It's sent as uh, with the authority. It's sent with, it's sent as an affidavit or in my name. It has that sending piece. It doesn't just mean sent to a place. It means sent from an authority with an authority. And so we go as an apostle position, often an overseer. The 12 were sent with positional authority and were often used to guide and to lead others. They were overseers or leaders of the church at large. We have record of many of them working miracles. Not all of them. We don't have record of all of them, but many of them working miracles. And we have record of many of them leaving Jerusalem, but not all. The one always common factor was the divine authority to lead others. So here's, what, after, here's how I see it. Now, after those apostles... Here's what you have to understand about apostle is that there's two categories. The first category is the 12, the apostles. And then of the 12, we have 11 of them that made the cut. One of them got hung, hung himself. So then we have an open space. Peter said it's got to be filled. So Peter come up with a good biblical plan. We believe led by the spirit and they chose someone to take his spot who had seen all of this and been with them the whole time. Then Jesus a little bit messes us up when he meets up with Saul of Tarsus, knocks him to the ground, and gives him a personal call. That personal call, he, said, he declared himself then an apostle. And so you almost wonder, I don't know, you know, I, I'm prob there's probably, probably the guy that the disciples chose is the right guy. But what if we get to heaven and found out Jesus said, that's a pretty good work, boys, but I didn't choose him or call him. I called Paul, and Paul's going to be in that seat. So I'm just giving you something to look for when you get to heaven to see who got the seat in the 12. All right, because I don't know. But anyway, we know we have the 12, and I call those big A apostles, capital A. And then we have Paul, more than anyone, speak of the ministry of the apostle and puts other names on the list. He puts other people in the ministry of the apostle. I call those little A apostles. The big A apostles 
have one of the 12 seats set aside for them in the heavens, in the throne room. The little a apostles do not have that, but we have a very important function on the earth. Does that make sense? And in the church, that's the, that's the small a. And so this apostolic flow, Carolyn's going to teach you about how that apostolic flow takes us to new places. That sending the message and moving authority. But they also have this function that in the church, as the church begins to advance, it has to have a leadership, an apostolic authority in the house. The one thing that I see recur again and again with the little a apostles is this. We have record of some of them working miracles. We have records of some of them going to new places. We have record of a lot of that. But the common denominator in all of them is they always end up being over other leaders. And so the apostolic position puts them in an authority position over other leaders so that so that. Um, when it's something is growing, it's natural. And a lot of people put their weight over on that piece. Well, it's natural. He was the father. And he fathered the new ministry. Through him, the new ministry, or through her, the new ministry was birthed. And as they were elevated, they produced a new level of ministers under them. And they're the father. And so they have an apostolic authority over that which they've given birth to. Here's the only problem with that. Is there are times when that new ministry, that old apostle dies, and they still need an apostolic covering. And so God has to raise somebody else up into that apostolic position to continue to give it direction and walk in a divine authority over the purpose of it. And what the apostolic authority does is he brings together all of the ministries into one body. So we have the individual one body churches, but now we become one church under one body with one direction, and we become even more effective and more powerful as we advance the gospel of the kingdom. Are you with me so far? I'm sorry. I take more time on that one just because. Just get it right. The position of prophet, it's a position of prophet. Again, God used it for correction and release, working in inspiration, but it's from a position of authority. It's different than just the, the one from the gift of the mother. It walks in authority, and it's often, almost always, backed by signs and wonders. And we can expect to see God back up his word and back up his prophet. The prophet can be a prophet that's resident. We have some of that. But a prophet is also often not resident and will come from somewhere and show up many times. Some of the prophets in the scripture would almost come out of nowhere, show up at a place, give a prophetic word, release, and be gone. And sometimes they lived among the people, so they're resident prophets, they're traveling prophets, but the things they do is they come with an anointing and, a, and an authority. It's a divine authority, a position that God has given them. The evangelist, a position often like the apostles requiring them to lead the advancement wing of the church. So the evangelist leads often. When Philip was an evangelist, Philip went to Samaria. He led the church to Samaria. He was there first. He took with him. He raised up a great church. Great things happened. What did the apostles do? Well, Apostle Peter comes walking walking in behind the evangelist with him and John, and they said, we just have one question, evangelist Joe. How many of these people have received the Holy Spirit since they have received Christ? He said, well, none of them. We've been too busy winning them to Jesus. He said, excuse me, son. I'm going to show you how this is done. And Peter gets up and preaches the Holy Spirit to them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see kind of the two, the overseer, the apostolic authority comes in and says, my job is you're the evangelist. You're seeing us 
just go to new places and things, but it's still my job to make church, make sure the church stays Pentecostal. So it's a part of the apostolic authority to make sure that the church stays Pentecostal. And we get that from Peter and from what we see in that apostolic. Ooh, that was good right there. All right, I'll keep going now. And when the apostolic authority stops making sure the church stays Pentecostal, the church will soon cease to be Pentecostal. If it's allowed to grow without Pentecost being brought back in. That's why you're glad you have Doug Clay as your general superintendent. He's a Pentecostal guy. All right. That's why you're glad you have Ronnie as your district superintendent. He's a Pentecostal guy. Finally, we get down to the part you guys want to deal with the most. But the greatest thing the evangelist does is he inspires and puts everyone into the ministry of evangelism. So if you go too long without a true evangelist in the house, people will lose and wane on their ability to win the lost and their passion for the lost. You bring an evangelist back in, he'll restore that passion, train that passion, release that passion, so the work of evangelism continues to be done even after he's gone. Amen. All right, I'm trying to cover too much. Pastor, what does that mean? Shepherd, position, and responsibility of care, guidance, feeding, keeping, training, discipling, empowering, and evangelizing. What do you tell Timothy? Do the work of an evangelist. It's not your position. It's not even your gifting, but the work still has to be done. So sometimes we operate outside of our strength for the sake of the kingdom and the purposes of the kingdom. All right, and we see that there. And so the pastor, so, so the anointing to be a pastor, oh, I love to preach on pastor it's an all-day message but shepherding shepherding it is a leading position you can't you can't be a shepherd and not be a leader the sheep have to follow you to the new pastures the sheep have to follow you to the to the still waters the sheep have to follow you you can't say well i'm just a pastor i just care for them if you can't lead them you can't really shepherd them that doesn't mean you have the gift of leadership from your mother so sometimes in order to fulfill your gift of pastoring and you don't have the natural gift of leadership, maybe you're more in the gift of mercy. You're like, I'm really messed up because I sit around and cry for everybody and I need to be leading everybody. I feel the weight and the heaviness of their struggle, but I don't know how to, I'm not good at the leading part. These other guys that are good at leading, they come in, the church goes somewhere. I'm struggling because I'm just feeling the weight of the church. What do you do? There's a way to fulfill the call and position of pastor even if your gifting is mercy wow I don't have time to teach it but there's a way that's not fair is it <laughs> surround yourself with people with the gift of leadership let your weakness make room for their strength don't celebrate a strength you don't have. Paul said, I celebrate my weakness. What does that do? It begins to attract people. Hey, pastor, we know, but here's, it's our gift. It's what we do. Let us be a participant. Create a team to enable you and empower you to fulfill. Because the responsibility and the authority is still yours. It goes with the position. But you have to put people around you that operate in different strengths than you. And there's a reason why. When you, when you look back someday, you're going to say, oh, that's why you did that, God, and it was perfect. That makes sense? All right. Some pastors have the gift to teach, and they, they, they teach well, and they love to study. 
be, be wise in that gift because if that's you, if you're over here in this study and then he puts you in a position to teach, then all of that in the position of authority to teach from, that's Jesus. He taught as one having authority. Don't you like that and the power and the flow? Well, that's incredible. But if he's called you to be a teacher and that's not your gift, maybe you're more of, uh, you're more of an encourager and, and people, they just love to hear you speak so they make you a teacher, but you don't have that natural love of learning and growing and developing. You can be a great encourager. So we're going to end up calling you a revivalist and get you out of the classroom as soon as we can. But understand, because, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, all right. And so so there's, a, there's a balance to all of this and a wisdom of God in all of it. But we have to understand the way God determined his positioning. Now, now here's where I've been trying to get to all of that to get to this. You give me a bunch of redeemed people and all their gifts, and then you give me a pastor that has leadership people around him and teachers, has people with, with the different gifts and functions and evangelists. You give him all of this, and you give him the authority of, of, of an apostolic covering because you have to be under authority to be in authority. And you put it correctly together, and what do you get? You end up taking this church and putting all these people in the right flow, these that flow well in evangelism, these flow well in the prophetic. These You begin to put them all out there, and you have this dynamic church, and it begins to function at a high level. And we haven't even got to number three. You can be an effective church if the giftings of the people they were born with are redeemed and put under people who are in the call of God of leadership to direct the church, you can begin to have an effective church and you can have an effective Baptist church that's not Pentecostal. So winning. Discipling. Caring well for the sheep. Can all take place and we haven't got to the spirit part yet. Just let it soak for a minute because we're fixing to dive into something. So that's pretty good. And we see that all around us. Well, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we don't do what Jesus said because he had all that. They had all that. It was already there. And Jesus said, but wait, there's more. Do not begin until you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that when we could already do it here? You can do it at a level here. But that level has a lid on it. It's a level that works, but it doesn't release people from demon possession. It doesn't release people from oppression. They're doing this church, but they're not doing this church. It's a different level, and God didn't want it to be at that level. His concern is that we would have success and be satisfied without being everything he needed his church to be. So he said, don't even start that way. The problem comes when the Pentecostal churches are not, y'all still with me? Are you still going to love me in a minute? That's what I want to know. The problem comes when we've got our Pentecost on because we know how to pray in tongues 
and put on a Pentecostal show. But we're not walking in authority of our positions and leading the church correctly. And all the gifts God has given us are not being used. Because our focus is only on them speaking in tongues and not on them using and discovering the gifts God has given them and putting them into play in the church. And so we look over the fence and the non-Pentecostal church is outgrowing the Pentecostal church. You say, well, Pastor, we don't understand. Well, let me give you a little more. I, I know, guys, you're going to get your mic. It's coming. Let me just give you this. I love what Paul said. He said, now, look, let me help you with your Pentecost. We're in, back in Corinthians, chapter 14. He said, I, let me help you with your Pentecost. He said, when the sinner comes in, the sinner, who? The sinner. When the sinner comes in and he sees the way you do Pentecostal Sunday morning, if he says... These people are crazy. And leaves, you are not doing your Pentecost right. They said, if he comes back next week, you probably won't, but if he does, and you're doing church the way you do church, and he falls on his face and declares God is in the house, now you're doing it right. You know what he's saying to the Pentecostal church? You don't get to judge your own Pentecost. The sinner does. Pentecost is a celebration of the harvest. If there's no harvest, it's not real Pentecost. It's not a culture we create. It's not a style. It's a power. So Jesus is, so sometimes our style actually becomes repulsive to the sinner. <clears throat> and but the, but the church done well, even without the right Pentecostal power God wants it to have, can be more effective than a church who has the symbolism of, symbolism of Pentecost without the power of Pentecost. And so we see, this is, our, this is what's happened, so we see the effectiveness of good leadership, good godly called leadership in their place, organized and working with evangelism, with all the pieces and all, and they're, and they're bringing the church to life and the people are operating their gifts and we see them growing and we're not growing and so we begin to go to try to learn what they're doing and then we end up walking away from our Pentecost. And now we embrace this and mock that. Getting kind of heavy today here, all right? Y'all just, but you're staying with me. So what, we, what should we do? Well, well, God gave us John Maxwell and some others that began to teach us the importance of being better leaders. And we needed it. The problem is we end up living here and we quit going back there because God never meant for his church to only be this. And the worst thing that happens, and it happens to many Assemblies of God ministers, is we find ourselves being what we're told never to be, and that is double-minded. Because we believe in this, and we're trying to live in that, and we can't get anywhere because we're trying to figure out how to be both evangelical and Pentecostal at the same time. 
When the truth is, the healthy church, a simple, powerful, healthy church, we take the gifts of all the people, and everybody's got them, and we help them flow in the streams and authorities that God has given, putting them in their place, and we have the God-called, God-ordained authority in the house to lead and guide, to oversee, to say yes and no, and that's underneath an apostolic covering that's moving us where God, now that's good, and as good as that is, though, the best is what happens next. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, same spirit, spirit, and right back where we were. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working. But in all of them, it's the same God at work. Now, he said, now, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit given for the common good. To one, there's given the spirit of a message of wit by the spirit, through the spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinction between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Still to another, interpretation of tongues. All of these are the one and same spirit. And he distributes them. Remember, he's the origin. To each one, just as he determined. So now, here's what do we have? What do we have? So now we've got the church functioning here. We've got all these people that are being redeemed, bringing their gifts with them, coming into the house of the Lord. And then we have divine leadership that God has established in authority positions, and it's working. And then God says, now, let's take it to church 2.0. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes... He doesn't just come on the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. No, he does. He comes on everyone. He comes on men and women, young and old. He comes on those in the positions of leadership, those not in the positions of leadership. And every gift we have goes to a whole new level. Everything in the church goes to a whole new power. Now, now, we're not just being a voice in the world calling out right and wrong. We're now walking in a power to release, redeem, to bind up, and to set free. <clears throat> By the power of the Spirit, the church is taken to a whole new place. Those gifts are incredible. I'll walk you through the list and I'm through. The message of wisdom. Remember, it's not a gift of wisdom. That God gave a gift of wisdom to Solomon, and it almost cost him his soul because he could depend on what he knew rather than on who he knew. God never gives you a gift of wisdom. You get wiser with age and experience and mistakes, but he gives you a word of wisdom, a wisdom, a word that comes in a moment. It's insights you didn't have, knowing something you couldn't know, something that knows the end from the beginning. God releases that word to you, and you suddenly know what to do. It's a word of wisdom. When that happens to you more than once, God uses you that way more than once, people begin to say that person has wisdom. Remember, what you have is the Holy Spirit. He has the wisdom. The message of knowledge, same thing, to know something you could not know. I love to tell the story of being in a, in a difficult meeting. I was the presbyter. My dad was the superintendent. This church had gotten so bad that we'd called the district in. I thought a little sectional presbyter could do it, but I got myself in some snakes, and I said, I need some help. So the dad had come to help this district, and we're in this meeting with these mean board members that had been really messed up by a really messed up pastor. Pastor didn't come to the meeting. Dad said, why isn't the pastor here without the chairman of the board? Well, I'm the chairman of the board. 
Well, that's not how we function in the assemblies of God. Well, this church functions any way it wants to function. And our pastor's not here, and he's not going to be here. Dad said, he's at my issue, and I've got to deal with him, and I really can't fix it without this. So I'm, I'm watching this go on, and I'm thinking, I know my dad. He's fixing to whip all of y'all. I'm going to watch this. Is going to be, this is going to be a great moment, and I'm going to get to see it. I like this, and I'm just a young presbyter. And I'm watching this take place, and then all of a sudden, Dad holds his hand up. He said, Pastor... I want to talk to you. I'm thinking, Dad, he is not here. And he says, I know you are listening to everything being said. And here's the word of the Lord. And Dad laid him out. I'm like, what is going on? Those men's faces turned white. They were almost shaking in fear. He pronounced death over them. <laughs> He's a little prophetic there. Y'all think superintendents, you know, can only run meetings. I'm telling you, they chase demons too. So it's, I watched it happen. We get in the car and I said, Dad, how did you know? He said, the Lord told me. He gave me a word of knowledge. So the word of knowledge is a dynamic thing that can be used. It can be that dramatic or it can be less dramatic, but it's one of the manifestations of the Spirit. Who can have it? Well, the pastor can have it. Who else can have it? The person that's, that operates in the gift of giving, but they're ministering to someone, and God can give them the word of knowledge. He can give them the word of knowledge about a business deal. So what happens when the, when the gifts of the Spirit are available to the whole church? Well, everything goes up. Faith. What is that? Well, we already said that it's according to the grace God has given you and the faith he's given you. That's how you know what level and where you operate. But sometimes God needs you to use your gift at a level beyond your normal faith. And he can give you a gift of faith to suddenly believe you can do more than you've ever done. And he can use you for a purpose in a period of time to accomplish something incredible. It can be curse a bush or throw a mountain into a sea. But when that gift of faith comes, you suddenly have faith you didn't grow up in, you didn't develop, you weren't born with. It is supernatural, and the, and the origin of it is the Spirit, and you can believe. And everybody else looks at you like you're crazy, but you know it's going to happen because the gift of faith has been released in you. Gift of healing, we know that one. We understand it. We understand the power of healing. Out of all of the gifts, the power of healing is manifest in all three. From the origin is all three. For the Lord said, I have sent my word to heal. That's the beginning origin of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes with the manifestation of the gift of healing, and it's by his stripes that we are healed. So the, out of all the powerful things that should be happening in the church, the triune God in all three places has brought healing to the platform for us. And when the Holy Spirit comes on us, I tell the story of the one of my church services with, with a lot of people in the building. Balcony was full, ground floor, big service. And the Lord gave us a word through a tongues and interpretation that he was here to heal. And when he spoke to me, he said privately, personally, I'm going to heal every sickness in the building this morning. Wow. Wow, I am here to heal. It's just, it's that, that gift came. We prayed over literally hundreds. We laid hands on people. I think they were getting in line three or four times because there's no way there was that many people in the building. They were calling people and saying, get here quick. You don't want to, I don't know what was happening, but I know it took forever to pray for all the people. The miracles that morning, the gifts of, that were healed of cancer and tumors and deafness and just a lot of stuff 
just stuff and bones and backs and legs. It was an incredible day. And when it got through, somebody said, can we do that again next week? I said, the beauty of this week is that the gift of the Holy Spirit manifests. It manifests. This wasn't Pastor Rick. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to hurry. It's the same with miracles. Miracles, that's when it's not healing, but it's the 5,000 being fed. It's water into wine. It's Lazarus, or in our case, if you're assemblies of God, it's wine back into water. (laughs) We go the other way with that one. I don't know why I said that. It was just funny, and so it came out. And so, prophecy. Speaking by the inspiration of God, prophetic word. We loved it. And it's prophecy is the only one that at the end of the description, he said, desire this one. I'm not going to deal with that because you are, but it's very important. First Corinthians 14.1 said, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. The distinguishing between spirits, what's that? Understand it correctly. The spirits, there's the spirit of man. There's the spirit of the devil or the enemy or the antichrist. And there's the spirit of God. The origin of a thing predetermines. It's like a seed. It will produce a fruit. But you don't know what fruit by seeing the seed. But if God by his spirit shows you the distinguishing and distinguishes what spirit this is of, then be careful. If you distinguish this is the spirit of man, this deal I'm dealing, it's the spirit of man. He said this is this man thing, then you deal with it at a man level. If it's the spirit of the devil, you cast it out. And if it's the spirit of God, you make room for it. But you need to distinguish. Remember, this is not just distinguishing. It's distinguishing between spirits. All right. Tongues. There's tongues as the prayer language. There's There's tongues as the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's tongues as the prayer language. And there's tongues as the spiritual manifestation to ministry to the church and sometimes to individuals. But the power of that one must be interpreted for it to be fulfilled. Paul said if it's not being interpreted, stop it. And so so there must be interpretation because that's completion. And this is where I close and I I wrap up and I quit. And I told you I was going to take the whole time and do the whole thing. Here's what happens. We're in a church service, and it was a, it was a good attendance. It was good, great worship that morning. Just, we just went right into the presence of God, and it was just wonderful. At the end of that incredible moment, you can just feel that shift the Holy Spirit brings, and I knew somebody was about to give a message in tongues because the whole room knew we need to kind of slow down here. And sure enough, a message in tongues came. I love that. Because it's God saying to us, there's two people speaking. And out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, something is confirmed. When a prophecy comes from one person, there's no other confirmation. But when God uses tongues and interpretation, it's a confirmation. It's God saying, I'm talking, now you listen, and I'm going to talk again, and we'll do it through someone else. I know sometimes people interpret their own messages, and sometimes that's right, because there's no one else that God can use to do so. But I like it much better, and I think it's more scriptural, when one gives the message in tongues and another gives the interpretation. Well, that morning, dynamic in tongue and tongue, message in tongues and the interpretation comes. The problem was he gave me the interpretation. Now, in those days, we sat on the platform, so I'm on the platform. I'm sitting there, and 
I'm worshiping and I'm waiting on the Lord to speak. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, that's a powerful. Speak to us today. Give us your word. What would you say to us? Then he starts putting it in me. And I said, oh, God, use somebody else to say that. I don't want to say that. I'm not that guy. That's pretty risky. And he said, no, you're the guy that needs to give this one. And so though I was a pastor, I had to step up and, and I gave the interpretation to the message. And the message was basically, I know you've planned to kill yourself. I know you've chosen to make today your last day on earth. I know you've come and I know you said when you came in, if I didn't show myself to you, it was over and you meant it. And I'm showing you I'm God and I love you. Wow. I said, either I'm really good and it's really going to be great or I'm, it's not going to be good at all because that's pretty, I like those generic messages. <laughs> Don't you like those better? I'm the Lord and I love you. And I, I have good things for you. And uh, praise God. And uh, I love those. I love those. I am among you. And... Uh, I like that. I don't like, uh, this is what you said, and this is what you're going to do, and this is what I'm doing. Now, what are you going to do about it? So that's how that was. So I said, everybody bow your heads and pray. In the name of Jesus, we bind every spirit of death, every work of the enemy, every plan to destroy that has come against whatever person it is in this room, and we release them now to receive your love and your mercy and be set free from where they've been. I prayed that prayer with the whole church. Everybody's got their heads bowed, and I said, who are you? I was on the back left side, a lady in her, in her early 50s, uh, an attractive lady, well-dressed, business suit. She looked like, looked like she could fit in any business office in, in Dallas, you know. She looked me straight in the eye and did her hand like this. Just high. No embarrassment. It's me. I said, did you pray that prayer? Yes. Did you ask God? Yes. I said, did God just prove he's God? Yes. You ready to receive him? He's ready to deliver you and set you free. He's ready to take all the heaviness and everything in you that makes you want to kill yourself. God's ready to turn it around and make a change. If you're ready to give your life to God, I am. Would you come forward? Yes. she came right down, boy. All the women in the world got around her, and I prayed for her. And <laughs> she received Christ. and I mean, the whole church was in on it by now. You know, I mean, obviously, we're talking right in front of everybody. Boy, did we pray. She wept and cried, knelt down. God did a work in her. We finally got through that moment, and then I preached and then gave an altar call. More people responded to the Lord that day. When it was over, she came back, and we talked with her. She actually took a gun out of her purse and gave it to one of my police officers. Uh, that was a, he's a, one of the guys that helped security, and uh, it was quite a moment. She said, so when we're talking, here's what she said. She said, I did tell God that. She said, I was born and raised Baptist, so I was going to the Baptist church. She said, so, and the Baptist church was next. She said, I saw their sign, but kind of in front of you, trying to get people to go by you to get to them. But I thought it was your sign, and I thought you were the Baptist church. She said, so I came to what I thought was a Baptist. And I'm not speaking against the Baptist. I'm speaking about the power of Pentecost. Because I just told you, Baptist churches are being used of God all over America, Right? So, so be, be wise in what I'm saying. This is what she said to me. She said, so I thought I'm in a good, comfortable Baptist church where they'd preach what I wanted them to say. And she said, I came in, what I expected to hear. She said, I came in, sat down. She said, and I saw the level of worship. She said, I thought, I don't know if this is a Baptist church. <laughs> she said, these people are going after God in a different level. She said, so I just kind of watched. She said, then all of a sudden, this person starts speaking in a language I didn't know. The whole church got quiet, and I had heard of speaking in tongues. And I said to myself, this is a Pentecostal church. She said, but when he was talking, it was to me, but I didn't understand it.
And when you got up and said what you said, you quoted my prayer to me. There's no way you knew that. And she said, I knew God had answered my prayer. She said, I was just waiting for you to hurry up and let me come get saved. I mean, that was like, <laughs> you went through all this stuff. We didn't need to go through all I was ready. Sometimes us preachers can be a little slow. So here's what she said. If I had have went to the Baptist church, she looked at her clock, I would be dead now. Why does God want his church to be Pentecostal? For her sake. It doesn't diminish the other gifts and their functions and the flow and the structure. It, 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 it multiplies it. it. Makes it better. Amen? So we want to be a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. 100%. With all the gifts of the spirit operating. We're going to talk more about that. Here's how I want to wrap up my part. I want to turn the clock back just a few minutes ago when I was talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. If you're called to be a pastor, you've got a responsibility before God to shepherd those sheep. And you're going to answer to him. It's not what we do to make a living. If you're doing it because you can make a living, that's called a hireling. And Jesus does not like hirelings. Never speaks well of them. But if you're doing it to help people grow and mature, be found faithful, finish their, finish their life still living for Jesus, completing the task and accomplishing the purpose God has put in them, with the gifts in them, if that's your purpose, you're fulfilling the role of a pastor. If God has called you, I didn't say this a while ago, but the only way you know you have one of the gifts of Jesus is that he told you. We call it the call of God. You can't take a test to discover you're the pastor. God has to speak to you. Now, I believe in the apostolic and I believe in the evangelist. The evangelist I believe in the prophet 100%. But this morning, I want to do something special for pastor. If you're called to be a pastor, I want you to stand up. I want you to come down here. Had to tighten up a little bit. There's a bunch of pastors in this house. That's a good thing. You're a shepherd. It's your job to feed and to lead, to tend, to heal. It's your job to manage disputes when two sheep start butting heads. It's your job to shear them every once in a while, but not too often. It's your job to help them be what God's called them and made them to be. You need to know who your sheep are because a shepherd knows his sheep. 
you need to know which one of those sheep are operating in the gifts of mercy and which one of them have the gift of giving and which one has the gift of serving. And most of them have two or three gifts kind of mixed together to make them a unique sheep. They have a little bit of well, this one, a little bit of that one, and they're unique. And they're uni- you need to know that. And you need to know how to lead them into becoming everything God's called them to be. You don't preach to and lead the church as just one kind of sheep because you've got all kinds of gifts and all kinds of opportunities before you. Now, you can feed them all at the same time, but the way you treat them individually has to be different. And you need to raise up leaders around you that are, are giftings around you that are good at what you're not good at. As I already said, if you're strong in the gift of mercy, that's good. That's so important. You carry the load too much. You almost carry the load too heavy. It almost wears you down sometimes because of your empathy and your connection with the pain of the people you pastor. I get that. You have got to put some people around you with strong leadership gifts. You have got to put people around you that have the gifts of of, of management and gifts of, of all the other stuff. I'm not going to try to repeat the list. But you've got to make sure that your core around you are the right people, the people God's called and God's established, trustworthy people that can help make up for your weaknesses. And if you're a strong leader, you need to get four or five people with a gift of mercy around you. Because you'll end up leading too fast and hurting too many. You with me, pastor? God's called you to be a pastor, but here's what he knew when he called you. He knew that he put some gifts in you that are unique to you for the place he's called you and the places he'll yet send you. It's his divine plan. It's on purpose. You're not an accident. He formed you in your mother's womb. There's stuff in you nobody else in this room has. He put a blend in you that makes you unique, and then he called you into this position of pastor for you to do it in a way that no one else could. But you alone are never enough. Remember, celebrate your weakness, and God will draw people with other strengths around you. You've got to learn to do that. Don't declare yourself to be something because you're intimidated because you're not that. Be yourself, because you're not an accident. You're on purpose, and you're just right. You are who God's called you to be, but you're not enough without the church coming around you, and your goal is not you being you. Your goal is them being them to equip the church. And then God said, I know you can't do it by yourself, so don't even begin. Let me anoint you with my Holy Spirit, fill you with the Holy Spirit, Then when you don't know the answer, the word of knowledge will come. When you don't have the wisdom, the word of wisdom will come. When you don't have the power, the power will come. When you're not sure you have the faith, the gift of faith will come. You'll begin to live at a level that's not you, it's above you, it's beyond you, and you can begin to bring those others with you. Your sheep will learn. Get your sheep full of the Holy Spirit. The best thing you can do for them is make sure they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And begin to lead. Spirit-filled pastor is the greatest threat to the kingdom of the devil there is. Because it's not just him. When he says dismissed, he's sending a whole army out with spiritual flashlights to shine in the darkness and make a change. Now just lift your hands up. Just carefully. Just just speak in tongues. 
Ikandela de Borrocondela de Bosson de Racotele Ramanda Racatele de Manda. Yindele de Bosson de Racotele de Marion de la Recoprianda Ramanda. Yikaremombre Cotele de Moshon de Racotele de Ramanda Ramanda. Yindele de Boto de Dakota Remariande de More, Lord More. Yikare Mariande de Bosson de Rebidiande de Boschite de Bariande Ramadea. Yindele de Bosson de Rebidiande Racotele de Bariande Ramariande Lama. Yindele de Bosson de Racotele de Mandrakitele de Vilion Bracopada. Yandere Matitele de Bosson de Racotele de Bariande In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a fresh anointing to pastor, a fresh anointing, a new anointing. Let a new oil be poured upon them. A new oil of the Spirit anointed. Let it run down on their robes. Let it run down across their lives and across their shoulders. Begin to pour a fresh anointing to be the pastor. A fresh clarity. I pray the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the fullness of the Holy Spirit would just begin to flow out as they would just be baptized into the Holy Spirit. A new baptism. They've been baptized many times, but we need a new baptism. We needed them baptized with fire. We need, I pray for each one of them to begin to prophesy. I pray the gift of prophecy would begin to manifest. They would begin to prophesy. The Spirit's anointing on them. They would begin to see things they haven't seen. They would begin to hear things they haven't heard. They would begin to walk with you at a spiritual level they've not walked in a greater anointing a greater anointing a clarity of understanding of the ministry that you've called them into and the importance of knowing their sheep knowing their God and knowing their sheep know your God and know your sheep oh God give them the right leaders the right team surround them with the right gifts and the right abilities let that anointing be strong on them let this day be a day of beginning that they go home more Pentecostal and more practical all at the same time that they know exactly what to do as they move among the sheep they know exactly how to lead the gift of knowledge the word of knowledge just keeps coming it just keeps coming it just keeps flowing the word of wisdom just keeps flowing that the discerning of spirits they walk into something say no that's not of God that's of the devil I want it out of this church right now and they walk in that spiritual authority that you've given them over the body you've called them to leave. I want them to say, no, that's the spirit of man. We don't need that. We're following the spirit of God in this house. And then they recognize that's God. Make room for it. Get out of the way. Give it structure. Give it ability. Give it opportunity. They begin to walk in discernment of spirits in a way they'd never walked in it before. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit for the miracle of healing. I pray that you begin to give them the power and anointing and they begin to lay hands on the sick and you confirm every word they preach is as long as they preach your word, I'm asking you to confirm because it's your word with miracles, with signs and with wonders in the name of Jesus, signs and wonders and miracles, signs and wonders and miracles, signs and wonders and miracles, signs and wonders and miracles. Preach my word. I will confirm it. Preach my word. I will confirm it. No fear, no bending, just what the Bible says, just what the Bible says. And the anointing, the confirmation, and the development. Show them, oh Lord, how to teach their servers to serve. How to teach their leaders to lead. Show them, oh God... 
how to teach the teachers to teach. Show them, oh God, how to bring these different gifts into the fullness so that the whole body, well fitted together, joined together, becomes mature and effective and powerful until we reach the complete unity that you've called us into. Until every church in Arkansas is joined to every other church in Arkansas, walking as a dynamic army around this state until every demon runs and heads somewhere else because of the power and anointing and the sick are being healed those in bondage are being delivered devils are being cast out and as Joe said the dead are being raised in Jesus name in Jesus name You've called these men and women to a position of pastor, oh God. You called them, Jesus. They didn't do this because they decided it one day. You called them. You went out of the way to confirm that call. They know now there's no way they can get out of it, nor do they want to. They paid a price for it. They've lived at a different level financially because they said yes to it. They fought battles that no one else has fought because they said yes to your call. I thank you for them, and I love them. God, I know you love them. They are the front line of this church. They matter more than almost anything. They need your help now. They need you to supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory. They need some folks with the gift of giving to come gather around them and get behind the vision you're giving them and make sure they're cared for. We need you to put this church together right. We pray an anointing on their life that people begin to walk in their gifts and operate, that you give them the workers and the servers that they need to fulfill the vision you've put in their heart. That you give people with the gift of organization and structure and administration to come alongside. Lord, you give vision to, to those who operate in mercy and those who don't. Give them people of mercy to stand around so the heartbeat of the love of God continues to beat strong inside the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you build your church. But Lord, you've given them this position and they also have the authority. Now the devil has tried to intimidate them so they wouldn't walk in the authority that you've given them. I command you now, rise up. I speak to you as God spoke to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. He has given you this land. He will go before you. He will walk with you. Do not be intimidated, neither by those you lead nor by the enemy himself. Be strong in the call of God. Walk in the authority. Walk in humility, but walk in authority. Walk in great humility and walk in greater authority. Let the authority of God rest on you. Let the power of that authority and do not use it for yourself. Use it for the purpose of the kingdom and for those you lead. Loose the demons from them and when you speak as the man and woman of authority, the demons will fear and run from you as they ran from Jesus for they know God has made you the authority in the house. God has released you with the authority in the power. Do not be afraid of it. Embrace it. Receive it. You cannot fulfill your call without it. You must walk in this authority. Do not be afraid. And as you walk in this authority, God is about to create opportunity that you've not seen before. Doors are about to open. Things are about to shift. But he needs to know you have the courage and the authority to walk in the doors he opens. Do not be intimidated. You are called to be a pastor 
a shepherd of the sheep who leads them into green pastures and besides still waters, who cares for them, who settles their disputes sometimes, who feeds them well, and occasionally has to shear off the weightiness before they can't even walk anymore. Wisdom, God, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Called and anointed to pastor, to lead in the authority of the Almighty God by His power, by His anointing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Support the apostolic authority God has put over you and he will support you. Understand the flow of authority. Stay under the flow of authority so you may be in authority. In Jesus' name.